Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 26 on the Psyche Sound list, or Death. Carl Theodore Dreyer's solemn but emotionally powerful drama about family and faith in rural Denmark. Our second film this week is Exorcist to the Heretic. Our film critic Mark Kermode's pick for the worst film ever made. And he's seen a Serbian film. <laughs> he's he's seen a lot of movies. A lot. It's sort of his job. I and I love him. I, I, I like yeah. that man defines a lot of what I think good and curious engagement with film is. And I know that is both rooted in and foiled by his adorable but transparently nostalgic obsession with The Exorcist. But, but anyway, enough about film. Uh, hey, Finn, how you going? Oh, I'm doing uh, okay. I am uh, trapped inside my house, and that is why we are recording on Zoom again. Uh, I think yeah. I hoped we would uh, be fucking done with. I mean, not until we have a way of making you not sound like a robot. Uh, but anyway, uh, welcome, listeners. My name is Yutha Shite. And I am Thin Sound Nicholas. This is Shite and Sound, a theatre podcast. And I always start, I always start by asking uh, Finn two different questions. First is Finn. Yes. Where do feelings come from? Uh, the brain. But the brain is a part of us, is a part of our bodies, right? Sure. And I don't feel my feelings localized within myself in the way that, like, I feel I got bitten by a mosquito on the tip of my index finger and now it hurts to type things. Like my feelings are all all of me, you know, they are more sure. than that chemical reaction, right? So where does that come well, from? No, okay, no, because see, that's, that's another feeling. You can say, oh, well, you know, like feelings obviously aren't just chemical reactions because I feel that they're not. Like, no, that's just, that's, that's just another yeah. chemical reaction. Yes. But that chemical reaction, you've got to build up a whole bunch of two-dimensional things to make a three-dimensional thing, right? Like, where is the line? There are my feelings, and I hope your feelings. I'm still undecided whether you have any, especially considering yeah. your, your abject refusal to see Drive My Car is easily the best film of the year. That's a lie. Worst person in the world has so much going for it. But, but anyway, shut up. Shut up. I mean, look, Drive My Car's really good. I have no quibbles with it. It's just I like some other films more. Yeah, no, but that's wrong. That's the wrong yeah. thing to do, to disagree I with mean, my taste. On my ranking of 2022 so far, it is, uh, it is at number two. It is uh, sandwiched between Licorice Pizza and Jackass Forever. Is Licorice Pizza at number one? Yeah. Uh, okay. Looks like we're going to have fun at the end of the year. Glad to hear you defending uh, pedophile fiction. <laughs> yeah, I went into the licorice pizza saying 
I want to see a movie about about how racism and pedophilia are great. And that's exactly what I got. And I was so happy about it. But here, here is, no, we have to, no, this, uh, we will have this conversation at the end of the year. Obviously, that film is a masterpiece. But also, yeah. the, the interesting thing about it is not, uh, is the fact that both sides' arguments for and against it are wrong. And uh, uh, that, uh, right, that, like, the haters are right to identify it as a, a film about pedophilia, or at least, uh, you know, a statutory rape. But are wrong to identify that as an inherently bad thing or as a thing that's endorsed by the film, while as the people who are like, yeah, it's not about that at all, are like also lying to themselves. Look, I'm just waiting for all of those people who watch Licorice Pizza to To see uh, Red Rocket. Yeah, 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 to see Red Rocket. (laughs) And uh, just like, just all of them have seizures and expire (laughs) on the spot. Yeah, you're right. Nostalgia for the Backstreet Boys has gone too far. I disagree. It is a menace. So, those chemical reactions build up to something that is more than a chemical reaction. I feel my feelings as much as I feel the pain in my finger or know this table in front of me exists. You have to acknowledge that they are something slightly bigger than just chemical reactions in the brain, right? I'm personally not quite sure why people think it's so necessary to say that they're more than that. Like, no, they, they can be that, and that is... What part of like, what I said is what you're saying disagreeing with. Uh, the word more. So when you experience an emotion, you feel it mm. the same way you feel a sprained ankle or being thirsty. I mean, thirst is kind of an emotion. Am I right, ladies? Wow. The experience of feelings sure. is more than just chemicals in the brain. And experience is all we have. But do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that there is, there is, we do experience the ineffable and the beyond the physical every day by dint of thinking and feeling in a world? I mean, I, I just disagree that it's beyond physical in any meaningful sense. Because our brains don't feel positioned within our bodies. Because we are not, because like, we are able to be outside of ourselves as well as in ourselves. Well, I don't that's know that's a that's state right. of super... What? how it feels. We've did great. You agreed. <laughs> Why are you so terrified have- of agreeing that sometimes feelings feel bigger than chemical reactions? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just, don't, I don't, I don't see why, I, I don't, I don't see what the purpose is of saying that. I, 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 I like it, it's, it's one of those things that like maybe sounds true, but I don't think is meaningful in any sense. I think it is meaningful because all again, do you think there is a way of purely looking at the world outside of all bias? No. Okay. So how? So everything is experiential and done in terms of how we experience it, right? Sure. And so collapsing the idea of like emotional feeling to, and acting like it is effectively the same as bruising your knee, like the feeling of pain in that, is not an accurate representation of its scale within our experience. <laughs> Where does that come from? Okay, do you want to hear my second question? Sure. When God looks at us, <laughs> if there is a God, which I want to be clear, there, there absolutely isn't. isn't. We're born yeah. astride. We're, we're born astride the grave. We are but ashes. 
that didn't get a laugh when I did it at the Ponsonbly Social Club last night when I t- talked about being born astride the grey. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, is when God, who doesn't exist again, I'm so sorry if you're listening, God, but like, give us something. <laughs> something. I can think of a couple of places on Earth that could do with some intervention you know but when god is watching us god who doesn't exist how does he see us is he watching us like a film or like a play i don't think there's any way you can conceptualize god at least in the the christian sense in which he is watching us in either of those ways the way that god watches people has nothing to do with like the act of viewing It, it, it is something that is intrinsic to him him. Yeah. So you I mean, don't believe in about, God, but you even call things you don't believe in men. I mean, hmm. we're talking about Christianity here, yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm sure there is a, a nice wadge of Christianity that that call God a woman or as someone yeah, most without also or gender neutral. <laughs> yeah, but people talking at length about how feelings are just chemical reactions in the brain are universally beloved. Oh, yeah, public absolutely. Speakers. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, they're mainly people who, when they die, everyone's like, oh, yeah, he spit on me. It was great. <clears throat> I do, I do also. <laughs> Christopher Hitchens was also cool, and I would let him spit on me, but just <laughs> sexually. So you just don't like... God cannot even be a metaphor to you. Were you asking the question metaphorically, or were you asking me what I? Were you asking me a theological question about Christianity? Oh no, I was asking you a question about theatre. This is a theatre podcast. (laughs) Remember? Oh, I keep keep on forgetting that. It is a theatre podcast, uh, and and a movie theatre podcast. No, fuck, Finn. We watch Mm. one thing, which is recordings of stage plays and yes just so you know i'm writing this bit till the end i have bit, like i've thought this through you can do whatever the fuck you want <laughs> this is a theater podcast <laughs> from where i'm sitting <laughs> anyway <laughs> um no it, it's like if you were to represent the view of god in the arts like uh, something is made from god's perspective would it look like a film or a play? So, uh, it'd be like a camera's eye view, right? But it wouldn't be the one I mean, that is usually what films are shot yeah, from, okay. the camera's eye view. It, yeah. ex- exactly. This is, this is not a new idea. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying this is a new idea from me. No, no, the no. Lu- yeah, the Lumiere brothers were, were ahead of you on that. But. Yeah, I'm not like, hey, guys, check out these frames of a horse. <laughs> but, but, okay, but so... Uh, you're the camera's eye view. It's gonna, it's, uh, it's kind of like moving over like South Auckland, right? But everything seems a bit more, a bit more cartoony than, than 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 you or I might see it. And the camera moves up into the clouds, uh, where you see, uh, we see God, who is uh, a large Samoan man, and and uh, he's like looking out through the clouds at uh, all the uh, at all the uh, uh, important goings on in Brotown. Okay, because when I think of how God would see life, I I think of how 
Carl Theodore Dreyer stages <laughs> plays. Um, we watched uh, his his version of the 1923 Danish play or day, The Word, which is uh, basically about uh, nature and nurture seen through the lens of uh, struggles within Christianity. Yeah, but mainly it's about daddy issues because it was a piece of fiction written before, let's say, 2017. It is about just this is a play that forces you to be a witness to it. Like it is it is these meticulous uh, arrangements of people barely moving and just talking at such length. Uh, and obviously we watched uh, a dryer's staging of Gertrude uh, earlier as we worked through the British Theatre Institute's list of 250 top (laughs) plays. Uh, 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 Really looking forward to, let's say, Angels in America at the end, maybe like Sarah Kane's Crave or King Lear, but anyway. Um, It's uh, it's really great, but uh, but like yet again, Yufa has decided to do a bit that... uh, I just uh, like don't understand what he's talking about for a lot of it, and so cannot join in. Uh, I I think that is uh, a uh, another great choice for this uh, uh, for, for this podcast with two people on it. You're right. I did go a bit deep into into the theater lawyer. I forgot that the setup is that you don't know anything about theater, uh, <laughs> and that I'm educating you by taking you through. So like this this production of Orday that we watched the the filmed version of it is tableau right it is, it is people sitting in tight arrangements or occasionally pacing back and forth and muttering about whether they love each other or god that's kind of it right that is a large portion of it yeah yeah um, how, and, 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 oh, yeah oh no i was just like how did you how did you find it because i'm i am interested in in Seeing that you have such firm feelings about, uh, you know, uh, a barely subtextual conversation about religion at the beginning of this under the statement of feelings. But anyway, like, I'm interested on what you're taking all day, which is a film that is both uh, skeptical of organized religion, but absolutely endorses, uh, like, religion generally. <laughs> like, it is not... Yeah. So uh, this is, uh, you're uh, not you don't leave this going like D- is Count Theodore Dreyer maybe a bit of an atheist anyway. I mean, I I don't know. I will get to that. But, um, yeah, my feeling on this was uh, much like my feeling on all the Dreyer films I've seen, which was like long stretches of being like this is uh, boring. It is incredibly beautiful, and uh, it is also boring. Uh, I love uh, watching him move the camera. I love how he lights. Uh, uh, I love how he lights sets. Uh, I think all yeah. these performances are really good, but this is boring. And then every so often, there's there's a conversation which is like, "Oh fuck yeah, man! Yeah. This is this is this is what it's all about." And, and yeah, it does it does align with the other times Dreyer has has staged plays that have later been recorded as as films. Uh, um, is like like Gertrude that would follow this and I think better it in every way um, is that he has this very, the way he makes and stages work is that he comes in in the morning and works with the actors. They run the scene, they work out the beats, they work out the blocking. Then they bring in the camera and the lights. They set that up. 
and then they do all of that and they work out the frame or the 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 angles uh, which the, the camera can move through in that scene to capture it all in one take and so you end up with almost every scene in this film is just one take and every time they're not it's like 40 cuts there are there are uh, uh, 117 individual shots in this over 2 hour film and like some of them last nearly 10 minutes and so when yeah. he will and, cut and, to and- like a close up of a woman's face it is it is like going into IMAX it is like yeah a, a 3D dinosaur and- jumping out of the screen yeah and also there is a point near the end of the movie where one of the characters has gone missing and we're seeing out a search party and uh then, and what then was that point character's decides, name? they didn't say uh, it. Johannes. Johannes. Yeah, it's Johannes. Not you're just shouting Johannes. 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 And uh, it is at uh, this point of the film where he's just like white transition, white transition, white transition, white transition. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, like it, 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 everything else in the movie like he 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 never used anything but 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 just like be like starkest cuts, and, yeah, or, yeah, or like the eeriest dissolves occasionally. Yeah, and then for this one scene, he's like, no, now 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 it's Homer Simpson editing Flanders dating <laughs> like dating profile. Yeah, Starwipe, Starwipe. Yeah. Uh, I believe we we've mentioned it many times before. Probably. Um, I mean, how could you not? We we've uh, we've got two two eyes and a heart. It's the only real comparison that can be made. I am uh, once uh, when I was in my uh, high school media studies class, me and my best friend had to make a short film for it, <laughs> and uh, we spent, <laughs> was it full of Star Wars? Well, so we, we spent so long like searching online trying to find a, a, a like star white plugin we could download for 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 for, for Premiere Pro, and we just couldn't <laughs> find one, and so we ended up not being able. To, but like our, our original intention was like every cut will be a star wipe. I mean, like on on like one of the days of planning doing this, our teacher heard us uh, like heard us. <laughs> and she's like, no, I will I will fail you if you do that. I mean, color me surprised <laughs> that you frequently have done things. It seems purely to rebel. <laughs> Uh, are motivated by nothing other than just being like no <laughs> which is like a good reason to do things like um what are good things to do these days Finn? oh um worry uh yeah i've been doing a lot of that uh, I, i've been, I've been I playing just... a lot of sudoku over the past few days just be, oh okay. wow welcome to welcome to 1998 yeah. how are you doing I'm doing pretty. What's it like back there? Kill Tony Blair while you do it before, no, no, like you've got to save yeah. people in Iraq. H- him, him, and, him, and, him and Bojo are going down. Uh, <laughs> Please, his name is BJ. It's Bonson Johnson. No blowjob. They call him Boris Johnson because it would be embarrassing. Because of the time he got a knowledge. blowjob from a pig. Yes. <laughs> hey, it is a. D- I feel like the pig has to be alive for there to like. Otherwise, it's just no. Sure. I read the Wikipedia. Yeah, sure. It, it, it's it's just it's just good old fashioned, totally normal pighead necrophilia. <laughs> no, no, I mean, nothing, I'm, nothing wrong with no, 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 nothing wrong. Of There's nothing wrong with no. a bit of post mortem fellatio. I'm absolutely. I'm just unsure if that's the term you should be using. 
And I am also deeply unsure about you expressing what I can only assume is a genuine sentiment. <laughs> I, I, have no, I have no way of thinking uh, 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 that you, in fact, do not mean the things you just said. I'm horrified. Um, but so this film unravels in these uh, theatrical scenes obviously because it's a play right like these long seven eight minute things often if not always shot like just through a fourth wall right where the audience would be yeah and it is kind of to me what this play captures best is like the the like the mundanity capturing kind of an otherworldliness feelingness religiosity uh, in a very by doing it through a very like starchy and obvious frame, and that's how. And the way I encapsulate that is that I think this film looks like how God looks at the world. Does that make sense as a set of ideas? Like you're right. You thought I was they, all over the place, but I just made a quite interesting point about Orday. Uh, know me before you judge me. I don't know. I I, I like what 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 one of one of the things that like. That like really stand out to me in, in the like style of this film, which I think uh, God wouldn't, uh, uh, which which I think yeah you wouldn't see in God's own view is, uh, is 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 the use of shadows. Like in, in like my, in my mind, like if 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 God is watching things like a film or a play, he is seeing every like like the like way that God is watching things uh, seems to me it would be a lot more like like a multicam sitcom where just everything is just like flatly lit. Everything has this all like same feel to it. Whereas like Dreyer's use of, of like shadows here and like how he lights scenes and how he lights sets, there are always these sort of like deeply unnatural shadows, which are never like so extreme that they draw your focus, but they always give every part of every room a like really distinct feeling and give it a lot of like texture and depth. And it's something I really appreciate about the like way that Dreyer makes films. I uh, think I mentioned something about this on the Gertrude episode, where, where I say like he he is you know he he's one of those guys who started off in silent film, and like always remembered the like lessons that you learn making making films that have to tell their story like just visually, and, and, and yeah, and and he has always been someone who is just so incredible at like at like finding a look for his films which feels which feels appropriate and has that and, and has that kind of starkness and bleakness. But, but, but like always has 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 that feeling of being like lived in and beautiful. With without disagreeing with anything you just said. Okay, no, there is one but thing I disagree with. Uh, it's you ever thinking anything of worth ever. Kill yourself, uh, please don't. You're you're a very good friend to me, and I know he's pulling out a knife, <laughs> but he looks like he's going to attack me with it. How? Through you're the one who can't leave the house. Well, I can uh, run away. Look, it, it, it's good. It's going to be like in Casino Royale when uh, uh, when the guy punches through the TV screen and kills Orson Welles. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say like when James Bond runs through the wall of the construction site because I've constantly like, my brain is so forcing yourself to forget about about the, about the about the about the about that fucking terrible version of Casino Royale. And it is like, I've seen it twice. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not absent from my life, but it's just gone from my mind. You are so um, lucky. But what, what this, <laughs> no, I, because a lot of my thinking are, around 
uh, how like the sonography of Dreyer's production of this play uh, uh, is that it what it it did seem to me uh, like a flatly lit sitcom. And uh, to be clear, I'm not agreeing disagreeing with anything else you said. There there are there are shadows like this film. Like Gertrude was about people emerging into and disappearing out of light in these kind of cluttered, intimate frames surrounded by darkness. Whereas Orday is about people kind of being alone in the center of the frame or split on either side of it. People are rarely together and they're often surrounded by white with like shadows are the rare element. It's much more about negative space than non-space, if that makes sense as like a, a sure. distinction. And, 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 I, and it is the fact that they were often so separate from that lighting element, which is A, like obviously deliberate, and B, uh, looks great, but C, it also like there is also the aesthetic of the shows Tyler Perry shoots six episodes a day of, especially the long single takes. And to be clear, I have not seen many episodes of those shows, but I feel safe in saying I think Orday is much better. Um, I, I, I was considering, I was like, do you know, like the way we balance, the way we could potentially attract audience after the Fussbender and the Furious Bender is to do all of Tyler Perry's films with the rule that we have to be positive about them. Like we are, we are doing all of Tyler Perry and we are treating them as the sound films again. But then I looked and there's like 40. Yeah. There are, there are, there are so many movies and I'm, I'm not sure how many, how many Medea films I'd be able to pretend to be positive about. But even then, but like, even if you're just doing, if you're like, you have to do a standard Medea film, like a mid-era Medea film, and then a holiday Medea film, they're also like the thrillers. Like, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and, um, yeah. And, 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 yeah. And, and all those dramas, like, I think I love my wife, and I think I love my wife, T.O.O., and Confessions uh, of a Marriage Counselor. Uh, it, it is Confessions of a Marriage Counselor, I believe, has Medea in it. Doesn't doesn't matter. I, I, uh, I, don't, um, I don't believe so. Because there are several. Anyway, that, 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 no, I'm thinking that, that, of a diary of a mad fat yeah, black woman. Yeah, yeah, yes, you are. Uh, anyway, uh, confessions of a marriage counselor is for is for one about AIDS that they covered on the flop house. Ah, uh, yeah, and also, like, I just thought it would be an interesting game to torture ourselves with of being like, what if we only went in looking for the good, you know? Because they're like. Them like with those casts, there must be anyway. Um, even even though they're also dreadful, uh, Tyler Perry, if you can hear this, I really respect your work ethic, but also it seems like you're pretty bad to your workers, yeah. Anyway, uh, you've, like, uh, you've uh, you've uh, uh, you've had a lot of good performances in uh, movies uh, that uh, you didn't uh, write or direct, yeah. And that Alex, we don't, let's not include that, what, whatever, like the one where you played Morgan Freeman, whatever that was called. What, what was that? It was his attempt at a thriller franchise, um, playing the character that Morgan Freeman did in Kiss the Girls. Oh, oh, right. Uh, uh, Alex Cross. Yeah, Alex Cross. But, yeah. <laughs> in, anyway, Rob not, Cohen. I am from Triple XXX. Mm. Um, but what. And I, 
I think this film embraces the artificiality, especially of this this film was shot in a month, two weeks on a set, and then two weeks on location, and it is a set. Uh, um, I mean, this filming of the production uh, was was shot that way, and but they still, even when they're on location. Uh, reach to kind of distort and make stagey to remind us of this film's roots as a play. And I don't, th- to be clear, a whole part of me being like, this is a theater podcast is to make clear that all of the things I'm calling theatrical and stagey and like a play are not inherently bad. Like that is kind of the point of the bit, you know? Right. Um, Maybe, but his, if, his if, I mean, all, all you could have said at the, at the start of the episode, Hey guys, I'm going to use the words uh, stagey and uh, I'm going to use the words uh, stagey and theatrical uh, uh, in order to describe this movie. Uh, those aren't necessarily negatives. No, I think this is. But uh, yes, but what if you integrated that idea into it? Mm-hmm. What if? I guess we'll okay. find out. If you like people just randomly piling theses together. And not having them meaningfully interact in any way. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I should, I should read that pamphlet by Martin Luther, <laughs> nailed to the door of a church. I was gonna go with um, check out Don't Look Jumbo. Up. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, by the way, uh, everyone, uh, I've recently converted to Catholicism, so I've got uh, some very strong things about Martin Luther. Gonna, uh, yeah, uh, and these fucking Dutch oh. Protestants. Ugh. Um, we're all arguing about. Uh, who's going to hell? Who's going to heaven? I didn't see one of them pray with a fucking rosary once. <laughs> None uh, of them can marry and, my fucking daughter. Uh, and that's your impression of the plot of Orday, essentially. Um, uh, it, no, like the point I'm trying to make uh, all lead up to like the thing that kind of defines Dreyer to me is that he is someone who is pulling in two directions in that he is clearly working from a realist mode of performance. Like these are subdued naturalist performances from actors. And sometimes they will lean into moments or sometimes, you know, the moments will go fantastical, like someone being prayed back to life at the end of our day, but it will be played as if quote unquote, it's real. And it is not a filmic realism. It is a theatrical realism. It is slightly heightened. It's slightly bigger. Everyone is a little more slumped or hesitant or happy. It's like the volume is turned up. But Dreyer is always like, look at this fucking frame. Or uh, look at how I've isolated this person. Or like, look how long we've been in this take. Or like in several cases... Like being like, oh yeah, this actor's just walking back and forth. I'm just gonna keep whip panning with them, and being like, he's yelling that he's there while making a film that kind of insists he's not there. Like he cameos the most in his work for a director who's never appeared on camera. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And that I think is what I am talking about when I talk about uh, love. Uh, uh, as adapted an incredible film Birdman love it don't think it's self-interested at all uh, sorry I thought you were talking about love your favourite guest by No Way film yeah yeah well, I believe your Out review was his- a, uh, you'll love love I mean you uh, you pat yourself on the back and you said oh, that, was, that was a great one you for 
people are good. People are gonna people are gonna love that. You get a little chuckle, and you're like, oh, it's it a happy day for you. I know giving you access to the nanny cams I placed <laughs> through my house was a poor idea, but I wish you would not d- distribute my private conversations like this. And I, is that when I talk about this film, because it is like this play is so hard to kind of talk about because it is an arrangement largely of extended dialogues in what seems like a very schematic progression of okay. every... I, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, you, you just did lay down a challenge to me. You said yeah. Davis plays is hard to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about it. Can I give my frame first? Though? Right. Do you know? No, no. I, yeah, 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 no, yeah. I'm I'm bulldozing us to Finn. Shido sound. Ah! Anyway, <laughs> is is is, is duologues uh, uh, of people often not moving, sitting at a table talking to each other, and they kind of like everyone gets a go at being a protagonist. So there's someone who will be com- will have a conversation with one person, then someone else, then someone else, and then that person, you know? Uh, uh, and it, like the, the formal restriction of that, like you can almost see it as like an Excel spreadsheet um, pulling against these incredibly natural performances that are in incredibly unnatural frames. Like, how he is so beautifully able to balance those two things, right? Um, I I think is like the success of this film and what it is like. That's the feeling I'm identifying as being like how God would watch us, even though there's not a God. Um, uh, just there absolutely, there definitely isn't. Unless, yeah. Yeah. like if I woke up tomorrow and there was a million bucks in my bank account, I would think that I'd be instant convert. I'm just uh, putting out no, there. Okay, so but like e- e- even with that though, there, there are other more probable answers. Yeah, but I would have a million bucks. Yeah. And so, like, what would it hurt if I just believed a bit that like Sandals guy was magic? Well, well I really believe to- that Chris Angel is magic. He's, Jesus is a step down, if anything. Yeah, but, but like, but like, then if you if you if you got if you got a million dollars, I mean, you started believing in God. You'd have to give like twenty percent of your money to Brian Tamaki, and then like you, you don't even have enough money to buy a house anymore. I do, I do agree that you're collapsing together of all Christianity into one set of ideas is a real key pi- point of of why your rejection of it goes a bit too far. But maybe that's not really good t- something to talk about on a theatre podcast. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, no, that that is just like that's what I'm identifying in all day, if that makes sense. But like how yeah, no, talk about it. But like that's the thing I struggle with. It just feels so like it feels like a machine. It feels like talking about the dancing of a car, which is an insult to both dancing and cars. So <laughs> guys, you're not gonna believe this. There's a farm in Denmark. Yeah. Wow. It's called like Borgengast or something. Yeah, it's from I, Denmark. Yeah, and uh, the uh, uh, so this farm is run by the Borken family. There is family patriarch Morton Borken, played by Henrik Mulberg. There is uh, his oldest son Mikkel Borken, played by Emil Haas Christensen. Uh, there is his middle son uh, Johannes Borken, played by Preben Leodorfrei, and there is his youngest son Anders Borken, 
played by Kay Christensen. Who looks like Guy Montgomery just and uh, pointed exactly that out. like New Zealand comedian Guy Montgomery. I mean, at this point, he's an international breakout star. We don't sure. need to, to try and keep him here. I mean, he should stay, but history shows know, you can't really succeed here, you know? And also, the, and also the dad looks like old man Orson Welles, and the oldest son looks like uh, look, uh, looks like a young Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> Maybe so it is just, him under a different name. Maybe, yeah. Also living in the house is Mikkel's wife, Inga Borgen. They're a bunch of farm workers, and uh, Morton is uh, uh, quite wealthy. This is like a very valuable piece of land that he's on, and he has a very big farm yeah. with lots of pigs and stuff. And uh, and the sense is that he, and, like, he didn't build this, he inherited it, yeah. like it's been in the family a yes. while. And he has uh, very strong views on religion. But I think importantly... Yeah. Uh, it is uh, never really stated uh, what those are. We don't know uh, what denomination he is. Uh, he never goes into any real specifics about his theological beliefs. And uh, even as the film becomes about religious sectarianism, what the various sects are is never super clear. And I think that is uh, part of the point that the movie is making. But uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that you could... If you knew in depth, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you could track it. But it is—it's one of those things where it doesn't expect you to know, and is in fact slightly improved by the fact that, like, the this guy has problems with all three of his sons' uh, in engagements yeah. with Christianity. If that makes sense, like, uh, to break this film down a lot, it is just kind of them. Uh, having theological arguments yeah. uh, in rotation, right? But it is, and but like the fact that it does seem like kind of much of a muchness a lot of the time. We're like, I'm not quite sure what the stakes of this debate are. I think is really intentional and really like is a big part of like the mood of it for yeah. me. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yes. And uh, so uh, the uh, the oldest son, Miguel, uh, 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 is. Uh, uh, sort of an atheist, like I don't know. It, it, he he he's never he he he's, he's never like that, that, that like that much of an atheist, but he like sort of doesn't believe in God. Uh, yeah, uh, he 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 strikes me as someone who you know these days would be an atheist, but at the time, like he is the most atheist society would accept. Sure, you know, yeah. especially considering that the play this is adapted from. Uh, uh, the the staging of the play in 1955, uh-huh. the play is 30 years old. Yeah, at that point, like it's 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 about a past time. Uh, yes, uh, the uh, youngest son uh, uh, is is uh, sort of a uh, is uh, sort of a, a, a go along get a, uh, uh, is sort of a go along get along kind of guy. He like he doesn't really think that much about religion. He broadly has the same views as his father, uh, but yeah. but it's not it's not that important to him. He he, he is. Like he he is kind of uh um, he 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 is a more modern person and religion doesn't play that that major a role in his life. And mm-hmm. then there is the middle son, uh, Johannes, who uh, believes he is Jesus. He lives his life as if uh, he is the second coming of Christ, and that uh, causes some issues for people. Yeah. Um. And uh, uh, so uh, 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 and uh, 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 him uh, believing that he is Jesus leads to. Uh, one of uh, uh, one of the two jokes in the movie. 
<laughs> I didn't notice. I, I thought we were in a solely joke-free situation. No, no. Two, we've got two whole jokes in this movie. Uh, the first one is uh, in a scene where the a new uh, village pastor, uh, uh, he comes over to the, the farm one day to, to visit this, this like important local family, and uh, everyone is out of the house except for Johannes. And so he... Johannes? Johannes. Johannes. And so he has a talk with Johannes, and, and Johannes very quickly is like, I'm Jesus. And he's like, uh, do you have any proof of that? And he's like, aren't you, aren't you a priest? Why, 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 why do you have so little faith? Why, why are you denying me? And then they, they have sort of a, a discussion about, like, about like what it means to have faith in Jesus. That, that's the end of like Johannes walking into his room and closing the door. And then, uh, uh, and then uh, Mikkel comes home and is like, oh, hey, uh, uh, see, see, you met my, uh, see, you met my weird brother. And the priest's like, yeah, has, has, he, has he always been like that? And, and Mikkel says, uh, no, no, so some, something, something, something happened to him. Uh, you know, so some, something just like sort of changed his brain one day. And the priest says, was it about a girl? Did he like get his heart broken? And Mikkel says, no, it was, it was Kierkegaard. <laughs> no, I I do in fact remember that. That is, yeah. I, it, is you, it, yeah, it is also. Oh. This is a film that kind of slips off the brain in terms of precise incident. I guess is sure, what I'm yeah. saying, you know, because uh, so much of it is chat, and the chat mm. is never like uh, the pace of this play invites boredom like Tarkovsky, like Tarkovsky landscapes do. Yes. But when you tune into it, it's never a disappointment, you know? Mm. Like, it is, it offers both paths, I guess. Yeah, so both, both, those are the three sons. Uh, Anders uh, wants to get married uh, to a girl from uh, the like, next village, uh, who is a girl called uh, Anne Peterson. Uh, she is the daughter of a tailor, Peter Peterson. And this is where the uh, major sectarian conflict of the movie comes in because uh, Peter Peterson has uh, different religious views from uh, the, uh, 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 from the uh, Borgen family. Uh, he sees them as heretical and uh, uh, he thinks that uh, they, aren't good enough for, uh, they aren't good enough for his daughter. Again, the, the, the differences in the, in the beliefs between, between Peter Peterson and Morton Borgen are never super clear. Like there, there is a there is a discussion between the two of them at one point where Morton says, "You know, you 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 have such a you have such a solemn view of Christianity. You 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 have a view of Christianity that makes you long for death because that is you 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 your 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 view of of God and and of like your role in life is just to sort of like." Accept the suffering that God heaps upon you, so then you can be happy in the afterlife. Whereas, my, whereas my Christianity makes me want to live my life and enjoy it, and 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 like feel things. I, and like every time Peter Peterson hears that, he's like, "No, you like no that that's 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 crazy. Like you ha- you have to repent." It, it largely comes down to this idea of like whether life is uh, a, a, a whether life is a thing to be lived or a test. Uh, uh, to be endured, and where does the film come down on that? Who can tell? Yeah, as I've said, the details of the religious debate are, are, are unimportant, uh, as I believe you just agreed at more length. But anyway, uh, and I think that is because 
the strictly religious, like obviously this is called Orday, the word. Uh, it is about differing interpretations of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. But really it is about, to me, uh, yeah, nature and nurture. It is about <laughs> this man confronting his sons and, and them having clearly re- demonstrating the things they are reacting against in how they uh, have chosen their beliefs and then also demonstrating the things they are they are reproducing, if that makes sense. So it is like we see both the nature and nurture, and then he meets a mirror of himself in this other patriarch uh, uh, who shows how you can be almost exactly the same person. They are absurdly similarly yeah. styled. Um that they are always uh, symmetrical, often in frames. One of their big conversations is in, in like a tavern or pub, right? Uh, no, in the corner. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, it, uh, it is at uh, Peterson's house. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah. But it kind of looks like a round yeah. table. It looks like yeah. the corner of a bar, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but, it is well, Eufa, this this very stern Dutch Protestant absolutely would not condone pubs. I'm, I'm, but I thought like maybe restaurant, you know. Anyway, uh, um, it is yeah, no, they are, yeah. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there were, there were tons of dining establishments in Borgensgard in 1890. <laughs> uh, uh, they were, but <laughs> like, there's no way ever to find out, and that's yeah. a tragedy, I guess. And so, yeah, I just think that this is a film about uh, uh, truths beneath fiction. Do you know what I mean? Like it's. And a very Jaws is about uh, uh, a man being annoyed about someone else dating his wife kind of thing. I Yeah, I just, I don't really think this play is about the word of God at all. And yet, by following it in a way that kind of evokes that, like Dreyer puts the strangeness on it, and by making it a play and not a film, and then shooting it the way you would shoot a play, except just a little closer. Like, almost every angle in this film, to me, is him being like, what would a theatre audience see? And what if I was just a little closer? So you could just see it a little more, a little bigger, you know? Like, mid-shots rather than wide shots. Um, And that just all feels like, where do you come down on this film, play, Finn? Uh, I mean, I I really like it a lot. Yeah, I probably won't be watching it watching it again anytime soon, just because it is it is so slow. But 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 yeah. like but like I I I was I I was like incredibly moved by 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 the like last twenty minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. That that whole sequence where 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 they're where where they're at the funeral parlor and that and they're and like everyone is in a room with with this woman who has died in childbirth, and and and, and all their various conflicts uh, are uh, like coming and, I, and and kind of as a direct result of all of this religious sectarian bullshit. Yeah, like uh, uh, they they have killed her. Yeah, and like like that that entire like twenty minute sequence is just incredibly beautiful. And like I really don't respond to movies about Christianity. It's, it's 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 a thing that does nothing for me. Like my, my uh, as far as I'm concerned, it'd be like a best piece of Christian art is uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, High Plains Drifter. But the like, well, 
Yeah, but, but like, but like the, 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 the final sequence of this movie is so, like, just, like, overwhelmingly emotionally powerful. And, I mean, it's, like, it's it's because it's Carl Fielder Dreyer is, is an incredible filmmaker. And, and these are all fantastic actors giving really, really beautiful performances. And, like, and even though I hate Christianity, there, there, there is, like, there is something in this material that is, like, good. Like, kind of undeniably. Yeah. And, like... Something ineffable, right? And, like... Like a feeling. And, like, the, 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 like, very final moment of, uh, the very final moment of Inga being brought back to life, I'm like, yeah, sure. But all the stuff leading up to that, like, incredible. Well, in, in that moment of prayer literally bringing someone back to life, spoilers, is, is to me so clearly the, the artifice of the film overtaking its reality. Sure, yeah. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It is, it is... Uh, that is the time when the film intrudes. That is one of the two scenes that has cuts in it, that has close-ups in it, that has shot reverse shot in it, and that is like th- letting the film emerge into this play is to let the fantasy in, you know? Yeah, the like, thing I, um, I, I like, kept thinking that scene, because like, I knew that this film ended with a resurrection. I was prepared for that. and uh, uh, Braced. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I look. I uh, uh, I didn't know about it going into Benedetta, and so I was freaking out. The like main feeling I got about the film in like that sequence was like not necessarily that that it is like the filmmaker expressing his views on on the world. It, it seemed to me more like Dreyer being like, "Here is what a film would be like in a world where God existed." Doing the Bergen thing of like of like acknowledging like okay, God, all that stuff is kind of self evidently not real, but like we still need to find meaning and stuff. But like. But like, but like these people inside this film, they do live in that world. They live in that world where divine intervention is possible, and and like we live in a world where we have all had to learn that it is not, and there is nothing that can be done about that. But but like these people, these characters are like still living in a world with like some sort of hope for for like a life beyond this one and eternal happiness or all of that shit. Cool. Like that, it, it seems strange for me to you, for you to articulate the point I'm keep trying to get to trick you into saying, which is that that Dreyer here has kind of cracked how you represent things being more than things uh, on screen uh, in a way like feelings. He has found a way to show us where the feelings come from. Hence the first question I asked. Um, and, and like the reason I am not actually that hot on this film, uh, uh, is, uh, I will admit in large part because he makes Gertrude next. Gertrude is his next film uh, and his last. This was in his period where, in, like, he made a film, his last three films, he made at a rate of about one every eight or nine years. Yeah. Uh, uh and this is the middle one of those. And I think the thing he cracks here, his films before this are, are great, yeah. but are more films than plays. And it is obviously as he learn, leans into things, he becomes more, um, as he develops as a filmmaker, he leans more into staginess and artifice as opposed to, to the language of film. 
And I just think that the thing he cracks here, the development on that, that, that showing of the other world works so well that he does it again and better in Gertrude and well, Gertrude well, has a plot I fucking care about. Which is like, like also the thing he does in the passion of Joan of Arc. As we will see. As that right? staginess that, that people associate with like silent films and like, mm-hmm. and like really uses that to, to like create a like, a like kind of really heightened sense of the world. There is this trajectory through Dry's career of like him, uh, uh uh, starting in silent film, and like moving out of silent film and becoming more and more filmic, and then like yeah. his career is, is is like sort of a parabola. It starts with, yeah. with the silent films, but with very which, like, which I believe he came into through theatre, right? Right. That, that, that would believe. make sense. Yeah. It starts with him in the in the twenties having this very like highly stylized view of the world and like and, and using that to create very like heightened emotions. And then as he moves into into like thirties and forties, he kind of like rises out of that to become more traditionally filmic. And then, as he goes into the fifties and sixties, he he like leans back more into that old style. And-, and it is it is an embarrassment of riches problem, but knowing yeah that like this story just does not interest me. I got a lot more out of like trying to work out an angle on it to talk about than watching it. Uh, uh, than like you know like not watching it like because it's hypnotic and and kind of beautiful when you tune into it. It's like genuinely these people, I have no interest in what's going on in their lives. And part of that is being like, oh, so you're just bitching about you don't believe the precise same things at each other. Or I'm like, that's what makes us all human, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the fact that he would do all of this, he would do all of these tricks, but also in a story I care a lot about and want to follow every nuance and detail of in Gertrude makes it like this is a marginal sound for me but it's marginal where does it sit for you sound i presume right uh, this is a uh, sound for me i uh i think i like this more than gertrude and like, i i'd have to watch gertrude again i would maybe agree but like there are things about gertrude that are better than this i i think that's probably true but like yeah. as beautiful and engrossing as gertrude is there is no real part of that where i was at all moved by it gertrude is obviously great but like it, it, it didn't, it didn't get to me in in, in any sense. But like, but like watching this, I, I was like on the verge of tears for like the last twenty minutes, and and so like it, yeah. Uh, so I have this. But uh, surely, uh, when you just like, no, this is just a chemical reaction in my brain. Thus, I can control it. I, oh, I wish I could control it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what Gertrude is about, right? Like, yeah. anyway. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so I have it at uh, number 36 on my overall list, which is uh, three places above Gertrude. And it oh, is- man. I, I have it at 62, which is three places beneath Gertrude. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, between Godfather Part 2 and above Unshen Andalu. Yeah, and but uh, like, uh, well, uh, uh, yes, and uh, I have it uh, between uh, the earrings of Madame Dare and Modern Times. Yeah, there, there's just there's nothing like a drier film, and, and especially in a way that like we're about to talk about really influential work. But this is one of those like you see much, so much drier in a lot of modern international art film, like yeah. this this feeling like the 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 eye of God of it, like the unadorned just staring and the fact that he is willing to be like, oh yeah, no, you're watching something that was planned and performed Mm. is like, 
equally Michael Haneke and Wes Anderson, you know, like I think this guy has, has deep roots. And 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 if you're faintly interested in film, you should watch all of his stuff. You'll never guess it, Finn, but looking up negative reviews for all day, a lot of the negative reviews are people simply taking uh, an opportunity to dunk on Christianity. Yeah. A deeply problematic religion that uh, has done some of the worst evils and some of the best goods in human history, and uh, depends on who you are to see how that balance shakes out. If you, if you're a right-thinking person like me, you're like maybe a bit more bad than good by quite a lot. But anyway, um, uh, taking taking a chance to dunk, and this one, this one and a half star review by Andrew Fairfowl. Uh, says, I know I'm in the minority here, but I could just not find any way in which to connect with this film. The perpetual inner struggle with the Christian faith that these characters face just left me cold. The moment of hope we are presented with during the denouement felt unearned. I would prefer it to come from a more human place rather than divine intervention. Capitalized divine there, like the famous drag queen came in and brought her back to life. Uh, that'd be pretty gay. And I wasn't sure if the Christ-like brother was being played for laughs or not. I like to think that he was, as a bit of humor would definitely improve the film. Its greatest sin, though, is just how bloody dull it all is. And like the thing that strikes me about that review is that like that is the review of someone who has been in the same room as this film but didn't really watch it. Uh, uh, that feels like a surface level engagement because it is just f- like for all this film endorses Christianity more than either of us are comfortable with. It doesn't rely on that exclusively and is about more than that. Right. Yeah. And like not fi- like it is yet yeah, to fucking restate myself. It is a, it is about divisions within a family. Like well, it's yeah. kind of a Leah moment, story. Which, like, and it makes, makes it like very clear to me that like this is not just all about religion. Is after Anders has gone to Peter Peterson's house to request his daughter's hand in marriage and gets turned away for not being the right sort of Christian, he goes mm-hmm. back to his he goes back to his family's house and his dad who had been like dead set against the, the marriage happening. When Anders gets back and tells his dad they didn't want me, they think I'm not good enough, he suddenly becomes like all in favor of the marriage. And you know, yeah. he says, "No, like we're going to go down there. We're going to talk to them. We're going to show them that they're like we are good enough." And so they go down. There's a, there's a long there's a long conversation which gets kind of a more more and more heated between between Peter and Morton, uh, which ends with Morton and Anders being thrown out of the house. And as he is kicking them out, Peter Peterson like yells after them like filthy landowners. At that moment, you're like the like thing that divides these two men is their class. We feel like status of their class affords them in Danish society as much as it's about religion. You have a Borgen family who come from this very, like, wealthy landowning family. I mean, opposite them, you have the Petersons who, who are, like, who, who are, you know, doing kind of fine for themselves, but they, they are the, like, emerging merchant class. They are the, like, beginnings of, of a Danish middle class. The distrust of it very clearly exists between the two families is so influenced by, especially Peterson, seeing these big fucking landowners as just, like, wanting to take from him, like, is like wanting to take his daughter from him. You already have all the fucking money. You have all the land. Why do you, why do you want my family as well? Yeah, in the sense that there's very much the sense 
<clears throat> and there's very much the sense that he is considering the family as much as a possession as everything else on yes, that list. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it it's not an affection thing, it's an ownership thing. It's just so boring when people look at something and have the first thought and do not interrogate it and then just spend the rest of their lives being like, eh, just can we just trust that art is c- intentional and good anyway? That's just me. Ref- anyway, it doesn't matter. Do you want to guess his top four? Uh, sure. Okay, they're all on the list. Three right. of them we've already watched. One of them we will. Uh, so, Birdman. No. So What's I'm going to go quite elliptical on these is what I'm saying, because right. you know. Okay, one, he got out. A Manscaped. Ding, ding. Uh, the next one, famously the only film to have a title that is largely inaccurate, but for 365 days was accurate. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ding, ding. That's it. And the last one, how to give clues for this little difficult. It's kind of singular. I mean, it's not. It's part of a series. But but on this list, to define it by country would give it away. You gave it four stars. Uh, uh, and, and even to kind of talk about its content, what? It's a first film. It's an indie feature. Really went places. Oh, right. It is there before. No. Plus. No, no. No? We've watched a bunch of it's films it. from France. Okay, but like, it's, 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 it's an independent film debut feature start of a yeah. series. 100 plus. But it's not, um, but from a country we've only done one film from. Sometimes I say it's got a cat in it and it doesn't. <clears throat> well, big cat. Uh, Panther. Okay, so it's, okay, so it's, it's, from, it's from Wakanda. <laughs> yep, that's exactly the thing to think about when I said Panther. Okay, so that big cat, what would it be doing if it gave Charlie is so cool like a bad review or middled middling uh, review. I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to keep trying to think. Tell me, tell oh, me what that would be. What big cat was it? It was a panther. Yeah, and what you call a middling average review? A pan. Yeah. And who was he panning? Charlie, so cool. Okay, so what is that altogether? <laughs> panther, pans. Yeah, Charlie. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. How, there oh, was no God. other way. <laughs> so the second play we watched... Was Hamilton. No. Uh, the, the City, Hamilton. I was about to do a joke where I, like, sang part of a song from Hamilton, but I uh, do not know any of them. You do. So I do that. I've seen the last, like, half-hour Hamilton, and I do not know any of the songs. Yeah, but that is just, again, you being willfully contrarian. No, it's because they were memorable. A key part of whether we like something is deciding to like it, and I don't think there's anything in the world that would make you decide to like Hamilton, which is a legitimate stance well, to take. Uh, big fan of musicals. What? Uh, I love David Diggs. Yeah. So yeah. There's so you're the, like, I, you watched the most. The two things had going for it. So you were like, I watched the least David Diggs bit of Hamilton. <laughs> the thing I was watching Hamilton for, it's being like. I love Marion Jean Baptiste. I watched the second half of In Fabric, and I am furious. <laughs> oh, what a weird! Movie. I love Uma Thurman, 
I have only watched the first hour of the film tape, and I am furious. Anyway, uh, I love Jason Statham, <laughs> and I have only yeah. seen the first two and a half hours of Furious 7, and I am myself fast. So, I'm a big fan of Tom Cruise, and I watched a YouTube video entitled Mission Impossible Series, No Tom Cruise Scene Supercut. And boy, am I steamed. <laughs> uh, a lesson you learn in the theater, it, it, one of the great curses of, of plays and, and like all performing art, you're a comedian yourself, a male comedian. Um, mm-hmm. And so you'll know as much of the rest of us that often the only time you'll ever really find out if something is good or working uh, is, is when it meets the public. When it when it's too too late, and I, sure uh, to to fix at least for that moment, and I don't think any play better demonstrates that than uh, Exorcist to the Heretic, a film that really really thinks it understands why the Exorcist works and doesn't, it just does not at all, and then thinks it's a film that misunderstands the Exorcist so much that the guy who wrote the Exorcist. Made two different movies trying to write the ship. Uh, it is also a film that was made fully with the intent to scare. In 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 the way that The Exorcist has and still does so effectively. Like rewatched it for this. Yeah, believe the hype. I I believe I'm the first person on a film podcast to be like that. Exorcist, check it out. Uh, it's a pretty pretty spooky movie. And I always forget the bit with the when the chair blocks the door and it looks like just a normal shot of, of someone running towards the door and the door slams, uh, a, a chair flies across the room and blocks the door in like a second. I'm like, man, that's that's frightening. Good work, Friedkin and Blatty. But this film, uh, when it's not just being breathtakingly racist, or fundamentally misunderstanding why The Exorcist worked. Uh, it is being attempting to be scary and is largely being uh, funny. It is falling on its ass so much. It is like it's both laughable, pitiable, and cringe. Like it's trying to do so much and achieve so little. It has Richard Burton <laughs> and it. And yeah. even he seems who, lost, obviously not, you know? Yeah, who, yeah, it has Richard Burden who's obviously not been paid enough to care what he's but doing. like, you need a special level of bad for that to happen because, like, Richard Burton was by all, account, was by all accounts blackout drunk on the set of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and that the, the, right. the, essentially the footage of him that is in that film is the footage of the times he was coherent on the set and it remains one of the most interesting, compelling and well-judged pieces uh, uh, of acting ever committed to the stage and then film. That's right, still a theatre podcast. And so in this, the fact that he's so tuned out and just absolutely not there, it feels like there's something sad about it. Like, it, this has the aura of being his last film, even though it's not, you know? Like, the tragic decline. But man, 
I I just want to know what it was like for John Borman, who directed this, and what was the author's the writer's name? Uh, William Goodhart, yeah, who 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 uh, did, didn't really do anything else. Yeah, and both of them were were like both Friedkin and Blatty. William Peter Blatty wrote The Exorcist. Uh, as a novelist, one of his early novels, it was immediately a bestseller and very quickly turned yep. into a film. You'll never guess what it was called, uh, uh, which uh, was huge uh, and for good reason. Um, yeah, uh, I've heard people talk about like what a phenomenon, like a, a, as a novel, this was. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a blockbuster book. It, it, it was a book that like came out and then immediately like everyone had it, everyone was reading it, everyone was like. This is the fucking scariest shit ever, and then like imme- and then like immediately like now there's like this like big important movie of it. Oh, like the, okay, now now the movie like won a bunch of Oscars. And yeah, stuff. and and, and it, it was like it was like a major cultural moment. And in a way, like watching as much as with all things, time has blunted some of the edges of the horror in The Exorcist. Watching it, you still kind of understand. There is something so sweaty and maniacal mm. about it. There is there is a yeah. sense of the otherworldly, uh, uh, in 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 a in a way that is just incredibly like confronting. I guess you know, like it, it feels steeped in evil in a way you never think it really, really would. The like thing about the Exorcist, which a lot of people don't really appreciate, is. Uh, that movie is like two hours long and the film is like more than an hour done by the time the word exorcism even gets mentioned. Yeah. It takes so long to get to it, but like but that entire first hour is building character and building tension and is like well, is already so scary. Well, and it is the lack of explanation and it is the fact that it is playing the opposite game to the omen. Because, like, the game of the omen is that it could be natural, it just seems supernatural. Whereas the exorcist is that you are immediately shown, especially with the re-inclusion of the spider warp, which is the the addition in the director's cut I don't have an issue with, um, mm. is that the film is going, you like, no, something fucked up is happening. This is, this is superhuman. Like, how quickly Ellen Bernstein... Like it takes Ellen Burstyn, of course. I don't even know. There's no Ellen Burstyn to confuse her with. Anyway, yeah, uh, uh, Ellen Burstyn, um, like has one time of being like, oh, I doubt it, and then the second time it's like, no, I was on her fucking bed. The bed was fucking floating. No human could do that. And so it is being like, yeah. here are these obviously supernatural things, but what is if you encountered that, you would still just be like. I guess I should talk to the hospital, to to the police, I guess. And then they all end up eventually being like, well, have you tried this exorcism thing? Which, which takes us into the second half in which um, the Catholic Church is, is made to make amends for its history of not dealing with sexual violence towards children, which is uh, what the other thing people forget the exorcist is about. Uh, the exorcist, uh, uh, I think, genuinely, this is not me just trying to have a fucking take and content warning sexual violence, I apologize. But, like, the reason the exorcist, so much of the exorcist's horrors work 
uh, is because what has happened is that Regan was uh, assaulted by repeatedly by her father, and so her. Uh, and when Ellen Burstyn stood up, the father left, and then uh, uh, um, the movie director got alone with her and maybe tried something, and then uh, uh, she fought back, and now it is all about someone having PTSD from being assaulted, and that manifesting as uh, being possessed by, I believe his name is Pazuzu. Yeah. Uh, just for clarification, by the film director, Euphra was talking about a character in the film who was a who was a director, yeah. not William Friedkin. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Who is? Uh, 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 anyway, <laughs> and, and it is. I think uh, not. Not not William Friedkin, who is just a beloved weirdo. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. There, there's a there's a character in the film who was in her room for some reason, and then. Mm. There are the many voyages uh, through Catholic priests who are all hiding something they did in the past for different reasons. Anyway, I just, I genuinely think a lot of the horror in that film comes from the fact that it is subtextually about sexual violence against children in a way that I don't think sure, lessens yeah. it. And, and, and that is, and what The Exorcist 2 was like, do you know what this needs more of? Backstory. <laughs> like, let's. Who is this demon? How can we spend an inexplicable amount of time just being really racist in, like, where are they? Africa? Like, yeah, uh, they are in generic Africa. At, like, one point, Ethiopia is mentioned. Yeah. It is a sort of, like, phantasmagorical approach to the idea of Africa. Well, it, it, it is uh, colonialist adventure, deepest, darkest Africa stuff. Uh, yeah. In, in a way that would... I genuinely have to believe be uh uh like out of step with fashion even in 1977 you know like it, it feels really really weird and it's clearly trying to be like oh look the the horrors of of distant lands which is just as a modern audience you're just like no fuck off fuck off what no you don't no 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 we all know this is bad you don't get to do that, and th- th- and it is so clearly them being like, I remember how The Exorcist starts with that little bit in Iraq. Man, that was effective. Let's have more of that. Let's have more Linda Blair doing faintly weird stuff. Let's just have more people being exor- exorcised in that one room in Washington, you know? Yeah, and it- none of it is interesting. None of it is scary. The effects don't look nearly as good as they do in the first one. As you said, like, time isn't super kind to horror movies. No. Just in general, there are definitely parts of The Exorcist that, like, aren't really that scary anymore. But the fucking makeup effects in in the first Exorcist movie are incredible. And they are so gross and so upsetting even to this day. And, and they, they, like, try and redo them here. And they just look... They're, they're, they're kind of lame. Uh, and, I think and like part, part of, of it, it is that Linda Blair's one thing about returning is that she would never put on the makeup again. So every time right. you see possessed Regan or, or someone who looks like possessed Regan, it's in fact someone else in the makeup. And it right. is like John Borman and William Goodhart were brought onto this, uh, uh, essentially being like, quick, make us a cheap sequel to The Exorcist. Uh, and they. Part of this film's failure is an overreaching. Part of this film's failure is the fact that Friedkin and Blatty weren't involved at all. 
uh, yeah. uh, and as their future work would show, they they are both very interesting filmmakers and workers, but they're like they're strongest together. You know, like I I watched Blatty's two his Faith trilogy, which is The Exorcist and two films he wrote one called, uh, wrote and directed. Uh, one of which is called The Ninth Configuration, one of which is The Exorcist 3, which has nothing to do with The Exorcist 2. It is, it's a, we're in a Highlander uh, uh, fucking um, Halloween situation, two does not count. And, and those films clearly uh, uh, understand the spirit of, of The Exorcist by being from the same writer but have the same kind of aesthetic problem of The Exorcist 2, which is that Blatty has never quite, like, part of the genius of the first Exorcist, right, is that Friedkin knows exactly what they can achieve how and how well with the money they have. Every, every yeah. effect in that film, like, fucking lands 100%. And even when they're a bit hokey, or the scare isn't that good, like, when she is, to pick the most extreme example, masturbating with a crucifix, like, it's a bit, you're a bit like, this is almost like a Tumblr gif level of, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, like, the effect is good. Do you know what I mean? And both Exorcist 2 and Blatty's other films are people try, who don't quite know how to spend their money well making things that just end up being seeming cheap. So, like, that's the thing about Borman, is that, like, so I've only, uh, like, fully finished one other Borman film, uh, and that was Excalibur, the, the film he made after this. And Excalibur looks incredible. Uh, that is a film which has, like, such incredible, like, uh, so Excalibur is, like, a, like, two and a half hour long adaptation of, like, the entirety of Arthurian legend. Like, every fucking frame of it is gorgeous, and it has these incredible sets, and matte paintings, and like, and, and but like also like it has lots of like great location shooting. But like he uses all the tricks that people use to like kind of get around, like not having that much space, having low budgets. You know, like all, all of the outside stuff is always like shot in like clouds of like fog. There are like all these battle scenes which are like twenty or thirty guys writhing around in mud, hitting each other. But like he, but he he makes it seem like grand and epic by by, by filling the screen with fog and like lighting fires in the background. So there's all of this, like, diffuse orange light kind of, like, wafting through. It is a film that actually feels epic. Excalibur is really, really, really fucking good. It's crazy, like, that's the film he made after this. And and his film his film before this was uh, Zardoz, which I haven't seen, but I have, but I have like, wanted to see for years. That, that is another that film. That film is fucking nuts. Yeah, it is. It is nuts. We will do it on this podcast one day. We have oh, to. Um, it, yeah. it is it is another film where a lot of its camp unintentionally lies in stretching a budget too far. It ends up seeming kind of fret, like brittle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Thin, in, in a way that's kind of entertaining. And But in mm. The Exorcist 2 case, which was like essentially written to be almost like an excuse to use unused footage from The Exorcist, which is why it is all in one location, and then they go back to the original places, but then they couldn't afford the original places, or they just wouldn't let them back in, so they had to rebuild the house and those famous steps. And 
they kept trying to push it and it just everything everything just feels bleak and not quite there it feels it feels so hollow and that can't be frightening because it feels it just feels like nothing uh, so all the stuff with uh, max von Sydow is that all like left over from the first film or is or is any of that new do you know I think some of it is new. I think he got a okay. bunch of money to come back. I think it is. Right. Uh, uh, I think, I don't think it's much, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's quite, but no, some new Father Marin, there is some new Father Marin stuff. I'm not, I'm not okay. a deep, deep academic on this. I well, haven't, yeah. like, we've now discussed all the exorcism content, uh, I've seen because I'm not going to watch that TV show, and we've got to save Dominion slash Exorcist the beginning for uh, what is it? Sh- 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 turn on Shradar or like look on Shradar for submarines or you know Paul Bearers. Yeah, or uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Shradar. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, evil villain Shradar. Um, yeah, uh, it is, and so yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Oh, and, oh, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a new Exorcist film coming out next year. Oh, with Ellen Burstyn in it again, great. Yeah, David Gordon Green is, da- yeah, David is genuinely Green. just doing to the Exorcist what he just did to Halloween. Um, yeah, which based on his first Halloween film is good, and based on his second Halloween film is a bad so let's just see how the third one works out um uh, uh i do not like the last person they kill off in the second halloween film i think it is a bad choice to remove that character from the third film N- and no spoilers anyway um it's not who you think i didn't just do one of those things right it's not like when people well like, you should watch the good place it's so crazy. It's the show set in heaven, and there's this big twist. It's so big, and it's about like everything, but it's set in heaven. And you're like, okay, so I know what the twist of it is by you. Anyway, any whomst. The comparison that of putting these two films together and what is that while or day, as, as we said, is a film that takes uh, uh, like the the insubstantiated sacredness and unclear rules of the Bible and like faith and uses them to incite um like drama. <laughs> the exorcist is like, okay, let's treat these like uh the law in a spit like D D campaign book. Like how do we get deep on like Let's. What demon specifically is this? In a way, we're like it is actually the opposite of the point. Like, what are you? Yeah, like yeah. What are you doing? The like fact that the demon is called Pazuzu Um, and and like met Father Mirren like like twenty years ago in in Ethiopia. There's like like, there's a secret. There's an extended scene of being like say it, say my name, P. Pazuzu? Louder. Yeah. Pazuzu. Yeah, that's right, it's like, me, Pazuzu. And you're like, no, like you it, can't. It, it, it's yeah, not no, allowed. It sucks. If you're writing a movie and you want, like, a fucking demon name, yeah. uh, there are a bunch of them in the Bible you can find. Yeah. Uh, or just, like, read some fucking Lovecraft. Steal, like, steal one of his names. Like, like if 
Like, if, if the demon in this was called Nyarlathotep, you'd be like, oh, fuck, that's a scary demon. No, I just... But, like, Pazuzu <laughs> is, like, is, is so unscary. It sounds like something a child would say. No, with, it's with, literally... Like, how, in, how... It's like... It's some... Is it? Like, it, it, it's, it's someone, like, talking to their dad, like, why, why don't you go... Like, why, why don't you go see the animals? Yeah. And it is, like, the fact that... It is doing that within the context of an already bad decision. Like, I think we can agree that, like, uh, the power of the possession in The Exorcist and in uh, uh, the, the Exorcist 3, Ninth Configuration doesn't really have a possession in it. But anyway, it's about. But it does have my boy Stacey Keach. Yeah, it's, it's like the Ninth Configuration is about all the same themes as The Exorcist. Yeah. And it's, but it starts as a comedy. Like the first half of it is an archetypical, like 80s, it's a bunch of crazy soldiers ganging around. And it just becomes more and more, more horrific existential horror uh, in a way where you're like, yeah, no, this was definitely written by the guy who had the idea for The Exorcist. But like The Exorcist 3 is him looking at The Exorcist 2 and being like, I'm going to make The Exorcist 2 look like the exorcist no i'm gonna make the exorcist look like the exorcist too anyway it doesn't anyway you get what i'm saying um in this though it is just so there's something quite insulting about not like no it makes me mad it makes me mad that a bunch of people looked at the exorcist and were like the way to reproduce this is to is to make up backstory for it because it just shows such a fundamental misunderstanding of that original film in a way that makes me be like i don't like that it's popular if there are people who are liking it like that you know yeah but so uh the, the only thing about the exorcist 2 is uh some of the sets look okay yeah uh, it is uh, I, I was surprised like, to find like out, that's, like, that's, that's kind of it I, I was I was genuinely surprised to find out that they did not have access to um the original uh Washington house that you know okay. all of the sisters set on and then they go back to and that they built it as a set because it looks like it looks exactly yeah, the no, same. Yeah, they did a very good job of that. Uh, and, and yeah, no, like people yeah, working like, on this they, film they, did a good job. John Borman, like. Xanadu is a better film than this because it embraces Z- its Zardos. Zardos, sorry. I, I'm allowed to make that mistake. It's someone who's yeah. also at the end of the alphabet, I guess. There was like good design stuff here, which there like often is in Borman films. And all the stuff set in Africa in the like weird sets they built for the towns there, like look, looks pretty cool. But there is one scene which I kind of liked, which is uh, uh, Linda Blair as Reagan. Uh, is now like 16 years old. It's four years after it's her first film. Uh, she is undergoing uh, uh, she is undergoing psychotherapy uh, with a doctor called uh, Doctor Jean Tuscan. Yeah, who is by Louise Fletcher? Yeah, where you're just like, mate, no, 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 you do not want to be in a psychiatric environment with Louise Fletcher. Yeah, like yes, that. But also, they they kind of clearly cast Louise Fletcher because she looks a bit like Alan Burstyn, and yeah. and. and uh, who, who who was otherwise uh, not in the film? Yeah, who is who resolutely not in the film, and in a it's one of those one line like, well, ever since your mum went away, and it is like, oh yeah, no, she really, 
she is yeah. out the oh, yeah, door no. on this. We yeah, are not it, seeing yeah. her again. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 mentioned in one line, but she but she is like making a movie somewhere, and like and that, and that's it. Yeah. So uh, Reagan is now in psychotherapy under uh, Doctor Gene Tuscan, and it seems like uh, some sort of a, a double hypnosis device. Yeah, it is we're, we're, a uh, we're, we're, mind penetration device. Have you? Yeah. Have you guys well, seen the first season of the TV series Fringe? You know the thing where they go into the salt nope. pod? Yeah, no, it's quite like oh, no. that, but with less J.J. Abrams lens flares. Fringe, yeah, check and, it and, out. Yeah. And, uh, it's got yeah, Pacey. It's like, and you'd like it. It's got Pacey. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about Joshua Jackson. That, what about Anna Torv? She's one of the Mind Hunters. Uh, Lance Reddick. Yeah, Redick. Mind Hunters pretty good. I do like Lance Reddick. John Noble. Uh, okay. Uh, do, uh, does he eat any tomatoes in a gross way? Oh, no, but he eats so much ham. <laughs> hey, look, I have to tell you how quickly, you don't understand how quickly the premise of that show becomes about the cast playing as many different iterations of their own characters as possible. Like, it is just people getting to show off in, like, a semi-Twilight Zone anthology show. It's, it's great. Chit chick check it out anyway sorry you were saying about uh the so yeah this double hypnotism allows uh louise fletcher to go into regan's mind right the hypnosis device is uh, it's, it's uh it's like a block with some buttons on it and it been like a metal pole coming out of that and on it and then there's like two there's two things coming like laterally off the top of that <laughs> and each one has a strobe light attached to it yeah. and then and then like the two people the two people sit like facing each other, facing these two strobe lights, and then uh, they, they 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 like put they, they like attach some wires to their head, and then they use their minds to control the rate at which the lights are flashing. And when both while making by making their voices go deeper, yeah. And when and when when we've used their minds to synchronize the flashing lights of each other, then they can enter each other's minds. And uh, like uh, the uh, first scene where they do that is kind of good. Uh, and also, gets, and, the moment... And then, it, and then it gets very dumb where, like, Richard Burton has to take over and then you, then you see, like, Linda Blair, like, standing next to, next to uh, Louis Fletcher and then, and then you see a flashback to, 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 like, Demon Reagan. They're both, like, fighting over Louise Fletcher's heart. Yeah, but it's weird. It, it is. We see... The first time is fine, but you are still in The Exorcist 2 looking at Regan and Louise Fletcher from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest engaging yeah. with a sub-Blake 7 prop where you're just like, not like, actually, you could have not done this. Like, this is uh, yes. uh, looking at a film where you're like, the fear is that it's unexplained uh, and being like, what? how we generate fear is explaining and we will explain through hypnosis. And we see that machine like that machine is like the co-lead of the film. <laughs> like yeah, no, it, a twist it, it, is about someone stealing that machine. It yeah, is it, it's, ridiculous. It's, 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 yeah, it's it's mainly what the film was about after a certain point. Yeah, and I mean it's not about fucking it, anything it, else. It is a, a deeply uninteresting MacGuffin after the first time it's used. Just sucks that uh, they didn't put more effort into it. Uh, I was finally able to look it up, and it turns out that Excalibur had a budget that was uh, three million dollars lower than this. And it looks like a million times better. Oh yeah, what it is? Like you, 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 you should go watch Excalibur. Oh yeah, I'm Netflix. sure I will. 
Yeah. Here, here's a bit, a bit like supporting cast of Excalibur. Yeah. You got Helen Mirren as Morgana. Got a uh, young Liam Neeson as a uh, Sir Garwin. Ah. Yeah. You got a. Uh, you, you got you got Kieran How do you Hines think as, Liam as one of the Neeson reacted to finding out that he was being replaced by Dev Patel. Do you think he <laughs> sat in a car with a knife in his pocket? No, no, it was uh, it wasn't a knife. It was a kosh. <laughs> And he was walking around the streets. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I he, 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 was, he was walking around Dublin with a caution in his pocket, to, to, uh, which he was going to use to attack any black person he saw. And he, and he, didn't, and he scoped out some guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, what? yeah, but, yeah and, but, he, and, but he never went through with it. In, in my head, he was, he's sitting in a car as he's scoping them out. Does it? Anyway, like, yeah, I'm so, probably I'm combining Liam Neeson admitting to almost performing a hate crime with the final scene of Tenet, yes. Um, Gabriel Byrne as as Uther Pendragon. No, his name is uh, pronounced Uther. Well, no, in, in the in the movie they say the movie's they say wrong. Uther. This is yeah, yeah, probably. I keep putting it on IMDb and it keeps saying incorrectly regarded as goofs. And I've just got to say, if you need another reason to hate Bezos, that, that it's that right there. Uh, as uh, Merlin, there is a uh, legendary British theatre actor uh, Nicole Williamson. Uh, you got uh, Patrick Stewart as the father of Guinevere and the first knight to uh, to 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 pledge his allegiance to to Arthur. The 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 the, uh, the guy playing Arthur is just some fucking guy who's doing like an Irish accent for the first thirty minutes I and mean, then never again. But like, but like, it's it's great. There's a lot of really fun people in it. Yeah, I'm I'm like I I'm sure it's yeah I'm sure I will get around to it. And, like, the failure, like, Exorcist 2 for a long time was one of those, and, like, the reason of it's being put here, right, uh, is that it's one of the worst, f- in this double bill, is that it's supposed to be one of the worst films ever, and yep. it is uh, too watchable for that to be true. All the two, like, the thing people forget about The Room and Plan 9 is that as well as being hilarious, they are also horrifically boring and irritating and incompetent. Whereas, uh, yeah. like, nothing in this, everything, like, this is a bad idea executed quite poorly. But, like, you can watch every scene and, like, Burton is sleepwalking through it and, like, Linda Blair is trying her hardest with shit material. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, she she does not cover herself in glory, but she does not get, splashed with the shit of the rest of the film i guess yeah but like it's always watchable and then like yeah burton enters the story he is like the key juxtaposition the way we can connect this to day because he is someone who is uh investigating very specifically like the tenets of his faith what it means to him and what the limits of it can be yeah we both did we both did the gesture um, siege blind to vanish you. Of course, I just I need to memorize it so it's like a like a prayer. Um, <laughs> we live in a twilight world. We live in a twilight world, and there are no friends at dusk. You've been made the sieges for blind for them to vanish you. I just it's got a right. It's got a flow to it. You know? Yeah. Every time you go to confession, you like get all your sins off your chest. It ends with a priest saying, "Go and uh, say ten uh, the sieges of blind to vanish you, and uh, sin no more." <laughs> Uh, and, and then uh, uh, it says, what are you going to do? And then I say, I'm the boss and point a gun at her head and say, I'm the protagonist and then kill her. 
and then you hear like you know the theme and then it's travis scott's voice and you're like oh that's that's a bit of this that's ruined for me i really i really thought it would be rob pattinson that made this film problematic but not just old travis scott anyway it's not like his voice is used throughout the music it is heartbreaking be like the world is not enough being your favorite bond film and shirley manson coming out as double hitler anyway i'm just trying to think of scores with popular singing voices throughout i don't know yeah it's like you know like season 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 two of buffy the vampire slayer Best season of television of all time, but oh man, the the singer from Chibo Mato. Oh, it turned out she murdered everyone. Yeah, turns out it, we're all ghosts because Chibo Mato killed everyone. It is part a. Uh, I mean, like if Marilyn Manson's accusations against Trez, Trent Reznor were true, which they really seem not to be, uh, um, uh, that is what would happen to uh, the Return Eight, right? Which is probably. A gun to my head, the single best piece of filmmaking ever made, you know? Be like, okay, cool. You can't just have a 10-minute set from a monster in the middle of it. I mean, you can't anyway. I would feel the exact same way about, about Part 8 if it turned out that Christoph Penderecki was like a Nazi or something. Yeah, or the concept of uh, having a light <laughs> maintaining it. Well, I don't know. You know, that Twin Peaks, I think there's something going on, something deeper there. Yeah. I could really, don't, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure. Good show. But it is that, like, the fact that in Orday, their, their search for meaning, uh, or the limits of their meaning, or the rules of the meaning they read into life, the feelings that are bigger than chemical reactions, uh, is that they are doing it, like, they're doing it because of because it reveals who they are and how they've become who they are. In The Exorcist, it's genuinely just about like giving backstory to something that absolutely doesn't need it. Yeah, but it does bring like the highlights of this film. What I'm about to say sounds so fucking horrible, but I believe it. Uh, like the highlights of this film are the couple of scenes which are just Burton and Blair. Uh, where Burton is desperately interrogating this person who is possibly a young woman or is possibly uh, Pazuzu the demon, and he is kind of toying with her. He is kind of manipulating her. He's teasing her. He's rejecting her. Uh, And what he is doing is uh, grooming her, I think. It, It reads a lot like that. Yeah. And I was just like, in that moment, this is the terrible thought. I was like, oh, yeah, they remembered that the, these films are about uh, sex abuse in the Catholic Church <laughs> and the trauma that brings on people. And I thought we would really go down that path. But no, like Richard Burton just goes away and gets to be the, the big flipping hero after Linda Blair gets autism curing powers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How, okay. How, how, how did I forget? The best scene of the movie. Uh, I mean, I feel like I just made a better pitch for best scene in the movie, but you go no, on with your, your, no, with your David Mitchell autism curing stuff. Yeah. No, look, okay, I'm, I'm just a big fan of Alfonso Cuarón's. Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, 
So there is a scene where Reagan's at this uh, stupid place where she gets dumb uh, uh, treatments for her uh, stupid problems, and it's all it all fucking sucks. Uh, at one point, she uh, walks out of the meeting, and in the waiting room there is a young girl standing there who's like looking all sullen, and she's she's you know she's all kind of like hunched up, and and Reagan goes over and starts talking to her, and at first she like you know, looks up and doesn't really say anything. And Reagan keeps talking, and uh, this girl starts uh, kind of like stammering out, uh, "I can't, I c- can't talk. I have autism." Uh, uh, I mean, if Finn is underplaying. Yeah, in that that may sound like a cool, cruel impression. It is in fact a forgiving impression of what is done in the film. I just want to stress that it yeah. is genuinely it is like if horrifying you're like what the like you know any image you've seen from that fucking seer film oh oh oh, right yeah Uh, and and we're like any frame of that and you're like no what are you how could you be on set doing that (laughs) and be like no cool the world needs to see this interpretation of autism it is like that is like all the power of that in one moment and then the end of the scene is like, wait, she was talking. She hasn't spoken in her life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and her like mum comes in and she's like, oh, she's talking. She's talking. And, like gives her a hug. And then, and, and, and yeah, I mean like Richard Burton and Louise Fletcher come over and they're like, oh, you got her talking, did you? And then and then Reagan's like, yeah, maybe I could be a psychiatrist one day. And he's like. Okay, yeah, so she just, like, used her demon powers to cure the skill's autism. Like, like that, that's what I wanted more of in the movie. Like, like that, that's where it feels like like a, a John Borman, the maniac, is, 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 like, in control of the movie yeah. for a second. Th- and, like, yeah. it sucks, but it fit like a film about Regan using her, her Pazuzu powers and kind of being tempted to the dark side. And so I'm proposing Anakin Skywalker's uh, sure. character yeah. arc for, for Regan. But, like, it's it's something that isn't, like, let's talk, let's go to a room about the Exorcist and talk about the Exorcist. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, and like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, uh, 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 yes. And, like, as we're going to hear when I read the positive review of this, like, m- like mo- most, of the pe- most of the people who love this film are, like, yeah, man, this is like the craziest film ever, and it's it, you know like it reminds me so much of, of like Giallo and Italian horror, and you know this is just like this is a dude going sicko mode on like oh, you know he's like he's taking the exorcist, he's go he's and he's like he's just like going to town on it, and you're like like no, he's not really. It's pretty boring for most parts. Yeah, not no, as crazy and, as and it should like, be. And that like, what, little moment where it is the fucking exorcist crazy. Three, like yeah. the Exorcist Three is so clearly blatty looking at this film, being like, "Fuck it, no, this is how you make this film." A lot of like, it's also set in a sanitarium. It is also about whether a character from the first film is still possessed, mm. but it is just done in a way that is actually giallo, actually quite fucked. And actually, in a way, really, like, the power of all of those genres they're invoking is that they, at points, are overwhelming. Mm. Uh, And the thing about (laughs) Exorcist 2 is that it is often, when it thinks it's being scary, it is being unutterably lame and vanilla, you know? Yeah. And it is, I don't, yeah, why... It seems insane for people to hold those views, but then again... Uh, 
as the world stage proves, no consensus exists. We are all just individuals floating meaninglessly through dead space towards a grave, unmarked and unmourned. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, and then one of the like big reveals in the film is that uh, uh, is that Pazuzu is like uh, is is like some sort of like locust demon. And yeah, there's a lot of locust material in this. Yeah. Some of it quite good. Some of it the most embarrassing puppet to appear in a feature film. Uh, uh, and yeah, yeah, and, and the like whole thing about like what the locusts represent is like a lot of time is spent on that, and it's never super clear. Well, it, it, right. and it's more like uh, a lot of it. I think is explaining like the times Regan in the first film has like psychokinetic powers. Is that like she's unleashing invisible locusts? Like it is. This is right. people like writing. This is the film equivalent of people writing long essays about why Harry Mudd has money in Star Trek, even though it's a moneyless future. Like it is. It is marginalia that has inexplicably been allowed to be released in a cinema. You know. Yeah. In a way that is like this would be faintly embarrassing as fan fiction, but at least you would understand the imp- like. I can understand there being fans of The Exorcist being like, no, but which demon is it? Mm. But I don't think even they would think they're like, oh, and everyone should know, <laughs> you know, not everyone. I just, I just didn't need that demon to have a name, and I did no. not need it to be Pazuzu. <laughs> <laughs> Which is already a Futurama joke. It doesn't help that that's how I first encountered it, but it is also like, Christ, like, was was cocaine really around by like seventy seven? Because that might oh, explain a lot of this I, film. Absolutely. Uh, have you seen the video uh, that was going around Twitter yesterday of a Martin Scorsese in like nineteen seventy six standing on a pier at a beach in England, being interviewed about a taxi driver? Go on. Where he, he is just clearly coked out of his mind uh, uh, and, 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 just, and just like riffing on what taxi driver is about to, to this uh, sort of like stayed professional English journalist. It, it, it's only like two minutes long, but it, it's great. And like, and Scorsese is, is like so intense in it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just don't buy the director of uh, a film as subdued as taxi driver as <laughs> ever having taken cocaine. I just can't. And you can't ever convince me otherwise. Okay, well, um, well, because you clearly don't believe me, I'll find this video and send it to you. I, I look forward to watching it and then replying, staged fake, you can see him remembering his lines at this point. He is a crisis actor. Yeah. Here is the thing about, yeah, no, like the reason The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, isn't a worst film of all time, is that like, I got a lot out of watching The Exorcist, Ninth Configuration, Exorcist 3, and then Exorcist 2. Mm. Seeing them all as like seeing Blatty's intention and then seeing the thing that that intention was reacting against, especially because Ninth Configuration came from him. No, no, no. Exorcist 3 is him adapting what him and Friedkin were pitching roughly as what their sequel would be before Mm. they were like, fuck, we won't do it. And so it is like, I genuinely don't think people should watch all of Plan 9 or The Room or Birdemic. I, it is not, they're not watchable. Whereas this, it's like, 
Like, it's an experience watching this film. Yeah. <laughs> and not in a positive way all the time, but, like, I was never bored. Oh, see, I, 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 was, I was super bored for a lot of this. Uh, okay. I mean, like, yeah, I, I can also understand that. And I can, and, like, I will admit a lot of my intention was fury at just being, like, yeah, no, for, for reasons I've already stated. Yeah. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is that I find Exorcist 2, the heretic, to be shite. Uh, yeah, I uh, also find Exorcist 2, the heretic, to be uh, shite. Where is it on your ranked list of all the films we have watched for this podcast? Sure. Uh, I have it at uh, number 115 uh, between Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Eurotrip. I have it at 97. Above the TV edit of David Lynch's June, the Alan Smithy cut, and underneath the color of pomegranates, a film that I have just essentially placed arbitrarily uh, uh, because, uh, like, it's beautiful, just do not understand it. And that's a you know, listen to our episode about it, which is both of us saying that at length. Um, uh, I have it a little higher than you. I just, I do like. I don't know. There, there's it is interesting as a curio mm. to me, and I think there is. I think The Exorcist is a film that is known as great, incredibly justifiably, and that the work that follows it from both of its major creators, Blatter and Blatty and Friedkin, is really interesting in light of it. And I think this adds heretic adds to that tapestry, but very much in like. A squeeze of lemon on fatty fish, I guess, you know? It's famously one of the worst films ever. Yep. No one likes it. Nope. No one could write a positive review of it. Not a if single you found person one, would ever do that. I would give you, you know, the money I spend on rent every week, which is a substantial amount of my income, I will no longer pay rent. I'll go homeless. I'll give it to you. If you can find one, one positive review of this film on the social media platform Letterboxd, and oh. I won't take this back. Here is a uh, positive review of No, I will never financially recover from this. Ha 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 I wrote it with one of my stock puppet accounts to ruin you. <laughs> no. This is a five-star review of uh, Exorcist 2 The Heretic by The Letter N. Uh, wow. Exorcist 2 The Heretic. Then there's uh, four dashes in a row. An ecstatic yeah. masterwork. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Sorry, I'm moving away from the mic so you don't have to get my feelings yeah, in real yes, time. I don't, I don't have to hear all your disdain. Exorcist 2 is likely among the most maligned, misperceived, and hated of films. Often it is regarded as being the very worst, while other worst films, The Room, Plan 9 from Outer Space, command a strange admiration or respect. From the outset, audience expectations were primed improperly. What was the nature of the first Exorcist film? A morbid potboiler that felt exploitative in the precise sense of it appraised upon people's uneasiness with regards to religion and child violence. A simple story with most events unfolding in a room. The opening feels out of place. The precursor to Indiana Jones. And the film's shocks feel as rubbery as the effects that produced them. The crab walk down the stairs, originally deleted for the initial theatrical release, was for one stellar moment of the piece. John Borman was quick to realise that audiences were not ready for his film, and did not appreciate his riposte, as he calls it, to that first film. But what was indeed possible in a sequel? A great sequel has limited options. Either the story can pick up immediately after the first part, 
as Hellbound Hellraiser 2 picked up seemingly seconds after the events of the first film, or the sequel can continue the story while definitely switching genres, as Aliens and Alien 3 did following the first Alien. Rehashing the old material is almost a guarantee for failure, and yet, implicitly, that seems to be the expectation in people's minds. Exorcist 2 falls into the genre-changing category, and in a show of virtuosity, modulates genre elements within itself. It also gestures towards a new type of sequel, whose attitude is only found in the boldest of remakes. Exorcist 2 acknowledges the events of the first film, but treats it as a minor prologue. This here, this film seems to say, this is the main story. And so the tawdriness of the first film is swept aside. A terrifying exorcism in a foreign land goes wrong, and a possessed healer spontaneously combusts into flame. Scene 1. Wow. The guilt of Father Lamont, played by the extraordinary Richard Burton, is wholly established. Burton is the anchor of the film. His seriousness lends gravitas to the film's psychedelic trajectory. Linda Blair returns and is given a real chance to show herself as a humanized character. Louise Fletcher, as Dr. Jean Tuscan, gives a very sympathetic performance as a skeptical psychologist who is out of her depth and who eventually comes to believe. James Earl Jones as Kakubo, a healer who transfigures into a locust researcher in one of the most breathtakingly mysterious scenes of the film, and Max von Sydow reprising his role as Father Merrin, a more icing upon the cake. In the film, we learn the why of demonic possession and receive an answer to the theological question of why do evil things happen to good people? Demons seek out the good. They seek out the most good, those who heal and spread goodness to others. Evil, if it is pure and true evil, makes it its mission to seek out good, to destroy, corrupt, and degrade it. But the good are also attracted to evil as well. They wish to cancel one another. The demon Pazuzu was a cipher in the first film, a mere statue. In Exorcist 2, it is revealed to be a spirit of the air and of flight, a swarm of locusts, a Jungian doppelganger who lurks within Reagan herself and perhaps within all of us, the duality of the soul. The film's settings are marvellous. African stone churches, reminiscent of real structures in Ethiopia, a new-age child psychiatry centre complete with a mind-synchronising device a full 33 years before Inception, the score by Ennio Morricone ranks among his best, expresses both the hellish nature of damnation and also the loveliness of heavenly grace. Definitely go out to get the album to listen to. William A. Frack's cinematography shines with a visual brilliance you expect from a man who shot Incubus, Rosemary's Baby, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Few were courageous enough to recognize Exorcist II's greatness. Noted critic Pauline Kael preferred Borman's sequel to the original, writing in her review in The New Yorker that Exorcist II had more visual magic than a dozen movies. Martin Scorsese said, The picture asks, Does great goodness bring upon itself great evil? This goes back to the book of Job. It's God testing for good. In this sense, Reagan is a modern-day saint, like Ingrid Burke in Europa 51, and in a way like Charlie in Mean Streets. Exorcist II the Heretic surpasses the original, a movie deserved better than it got. End quote. Scorsese had also made remarks about the film's dazzling visionary quality in other interviews. Director Borman himself states, The film that I made, I saw as a kind of repost of the ugliness and darkness of The Exorcist. I wanted a film about journeys that was positive, about good, essentially. When offered an opportunity to direct Exorcist 2, he said, Look, I have daughters. I don't want to make a film about torturing a child, which is how I saw the original film. But then I read a three-page treatment for a sequel written by a man named William Goodhart, and I was really intrigued by it because it was about goodness. I saw it then as a chance to film a repost of the first picture. So, in short, see Exorcist 2 with fresh eyes. It is not supposed to be like The Exorcist. 
some film analogues might be The Visitor, which also had some visionary genre-bending madness, the original The Omen, and the films of Panos Cosmatos, such as Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy. It is very nearly an American giallo, again, like The Omen. Only with Dario Argento's films are audiences willing to dance along with the madness, especially when looking at the wonderfully, preposterously plotted phenomenon, but Exorcist 2 deserves a chance as well. After all, we are talking about a film from a mind that devised Zardoz. In the words of Ben Wheatley's similarly visionary and philosophical afield in England, open up and let the devil in. Fly on the wings of a demon. Fly with Pazuzu. Let the wings brush you. Okay, so I I kind of have two responses to that. One is to say my point being uh, that if you do fundamentally misunderstand why The Exorcist is good, you would A, make the make Exorcist 2 in Borman's case, or B, in this reviewer's case, like Exorcist mm-hmm. 2. Um, but I do want to reserve some of my scorn because uh, I want to read one of my tweet, one of my recent tweets. Uh, someone uh, had has been out tweeting bad bits of film TikTok, and there's a video of a young guy being like, "Let me explain why subversion yeah, is yeah. good in films," and then using an example from Fight Club, which is both uh, a good example of subversion but also really cringe. Uh, and it is posted with the caption, why are normie film people like this? And, and this is the reply I am going to use to not speak any more to the the reviewer we just heard. Because they're still developing their own taste, which usually requires a period of believing that A, everything you see is only noticed by you. B, everything art you love does is unique or at least the best execution of that thing, and that if only people saw those things that have the same taste as you, who are they hurting? They're sharing their enthusiasm for the things they like. We were all like this once. Calm down. And I would just add that we were all like this, but when I was like that, I still didn't like The Exorcist 2. Um, what are their top four films? Okay, uh, let's start with the, the uh, most obscure one. It is uh, a, a lesser-known Peter Greenaway. No, uh, uh, it, okay. It is uh, actually one of the, one of the more prominent Peter Greenaways. Is it a Tulse Looper? Uh, no. Uh, so on uh, Letterboxd, when you go to uh, films directed by Peter Greenaway, sort by film popularity uh, all time. Uh, this is uh, his uh, seventh most popular uh, feature film. Oh man, I definitely cannot name seven Peter Greenaway films. I can name four, obviously. There's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and I forget the title of the fourth one. Um, uh, Give me, okay, how many words in the title? Uh, I will know this title, uh, right? uh, Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, It is uh, an adaptation and reinterpretation of a Shakespeare play. Uh, is, and the Shakespeare name is in the title? Uh, no, the name of the lead character is, is in the title of this, but is not in the title of the play. Uh, like, I, tell me, and I'll know it, but I cannot pick it from uh, my it mind right now. It is called Prospero's Books. Yes, no, fuck, of course the, it uh, is. The next two of these films uh, go together. Uh, one of them, I think, is uh, one of the best films ever made, and one of them uh, I find very boring. They are played uh, at uh, the Academy Cinemas in a double feature every year. The Devils yes, the is devils. one, and and the other is yeah, crazy, crazy. Uh, Taka T- Jodorowsky. Yes. What's the movie called? Yeah, uh, uh, oh, like f- fucking around in high uh, town. Holy like, 
the holy mountain uh, yes, pits, but- right? I knew it was a, a, up high yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it basically should be called fucking around in Hightown. It's a bunch of irritating people getting stoned on a mountain for a while. Uh, so hey, there are worse things to do as the world ends. Uh, and then uh, the final film, uh, there is a, a famous joke about it on uh, The Simpsons. Um, Barton Fink. No. Uh, um, a Planet of the Apes. Uh, I wish, no. What is a film about a monorail? <laughs> um, <laughs> what film introduced the idea of steamed hams, Ben? I can't remember. Uh, the joke on The Simpsons about this movie is, uh, I can think of at least two things wrong with that title. Oh, God. Fuck. Um, is it Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Uh, no. No. But it's a title yes, like that, right? Like, it's an and, no, and no. like, coffee and... No, no, it's not, oh, it's not that. It's, it's, it's just two words. No, tell me. It's not going to happen. Through, I'm losing my mind. David Cronenberg. Oh, Stars okay. Robocop. Uh, oh, what the fuck? Based on a book. It's starring... It's starring Robocop has really thrown me. Naked Lunch. Even though... Oh, fuck, of course. Oh, yeah. I watched that film too young. It's quite disturbing. I always forget that's Peter yeah. Weller as well from Orphan Black, being directed by David Cronenberg from Star Trek <coughs> Discovery, The Exorcist 2. I don't think we really dwelled on how racist that film is. It is galling yeah, how unreconstructedly colonial it is, like Burton being the only smart man amongst these like uh, uh barely human animals and like even the ones that like teach him how to defeat pazuzu do it kind of by being semi-tricked and are like smart for for people of color like it, it's so fun there was a really weird scene where, where he's walking to this village and he's looking for this guy called kakumo who he saw a younger version of in a vision and is now trying to find a grown-up kakumo and Walks into this African village and starts asking people, "Hey, do you know Kakumo?" People, people are kind of fucking him around, and then they uh, just they, they feel like walking down a they feel like walking down an alley and trick him into seeing a naked woman. They never laughs at him. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. If anyone yeah, out and- there is is trying to prank me, I just really want to say I would hate it if I was suddenly exposed to a consensually nude woman. <laughs> briefly and just like visually i'm not asking to be surprised with like just content not contact you know but i'd hate it then you're you you must be a little blue because you've had to go back into lockdown um double d double die (laughs) would it i mean uh, uh the thing to stress there is that you throwing that reference in the face of me who structured nearly a whole show around that song um I love structuring shows around songs. Yes, um, certainly do. Do you want to know why? Because of the bit in Before Sunset where Ethan Hawke says, I want to write a book that occurs over the course of a whole song. And then every time I write, watch Before Sunset, I'm like, oh, that's right. That one monologue is where I get literally all my ideas from. Oh, see, I, I was going to guess you like to structure shows around songs because uh, it's easy to structure them around jokes. Finn. Yes. Where can people... <laughs> uh, we're laughing because uh, Finn just did a very extended bit that he acknowledged multiple times was not going to make the edit <laughs> and yet he persisted <laughs> with, uh, with a vigour that I can only call both inspiring and infuriating <laughs> like 
Uh, spiteful, I'd call it. <laughs> what, 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 what were you repaying? Oh, uh, all, 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 uh, all of the bits that you do that go on too long and irritate me. <laughs> yeah, but we count most of those as well. Great, <laughs> <laughs> right, then, then we're tied now. Um, fuck, once again, um, yes. hey Finn. <laughs> yes, Where can either. people find you online? Uh, who gives a shit? Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Or you can check out our website. It is at ShiteAndSound.com. If you like what I do, uh, and I hope that you do, and if you don't, keep it to yourself. I'm in a very fragile emotional state. If you like what I do, you can check it out at YouthaLives on social media, Twitter, Instagram, I'd say Facebook. But if you're still on Facebook, leave or put bit.ly in front of youth lives and you can sign up for my newsletter i have two other podcasts one is an eerie audio anthology called the witching hours and the other is a relationship podcast where me and my partner briar watch doctor who until we die our theme song is the nux by kazan blam you can check him out on Bandcamp or in uh, one of several movies including Best Picture nominee, Power of a Dog. Best Picture nominee, How to Meet Girls from a Distance. Hey, if you like this show, tell your friends. We're an acquired taste. It'd be great if more people could acquire it. What are we watching next week? Next week, we're doing a Marlon Brando double feature with The Godfather and The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Classic collision there. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go watch them. Here it might be pretty starring gross. Starring Viggo Mortensen, Leia Seydoux, and Kristen Stewart. Oh, oh man. man. <laughs> look, I cannot... Look, I hate how good a year it has already been yeah. for film. I hate that I like it's already like I really have to contend and like think through memoria in my head so I can start an argument. Uh, between like what is a better expression of the mess of living between Memoria and the worst person in the world. I can't have Cronenberg introduced into these okay, discussions. It's not right. There's also going to be a film by uh, the younger Cronenberg as well. So we're gonna get, At least we're gonna we get don't have Mission Impossible. It's, it's an exciting year. Uh, and the uh, new movie from uh, Brandon Cronenberg stars Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. Oh man, Generation Kill and a cure for wellness together at last. Oh, and no, I can't tell 
but like film is good, right? Like yeah, right now as the world ends, it's, it's one. It's one of the. It's one of the four good art forms. I consider like comics to be at least four simultaneous art forms. So I'd like to know: Are you leaving out lettering or coloring, penciling, inking, or script writing? Which of those uh, five art forms are you leaving out off the list? Uh, I think that... Uh, you can't see uh, at home, because this is an audio medium, but Finn's face is flushed with sweat. His eyes are darting back and forth like a bank robber who's been caught out. Uh, uh, he's looking at the doorway. Um, he, he keeps saying, everyone be cool. Uh, uh, colorists, they, they, can, they can go fuck themselves. Ben, that is, oh man, that is, what a, the worst you could have. I can imagine a comic book which exists with all those other things intact except color. Uh, are you are you presupposing the uh, some kind of black and white comic book, Finn? Look, you I don't should, want to blow look, any minds here. Look, okay? I want li- Finn. Stop. Okay, we stop recording. Just you and me. I've had it up to here with you inventing bullshit that would never happen. I There's no place on Shine and Sound, a theatre podcast, for you to bring in ideas like comic books being in black and white. Black and white.